0: to worship on this 19th Sunday after Pentecost. However you are joining us this morning, whether it's through our OSL podcast, our YouTube channel, or through our radio broadcast, we are glad that you have made your way here to our Savior's Lutheran Church. And we give thanks to the spirit that continues to hold us and bind us and knit us together as a community of faith while we continue to worship virtually. I remind you that there is a bulletin available for this service. It's on our website, and you can download it or print it off if you would like to be able to follow along and have the words to the hymns and the texts. In preparation for worship, I invite you now to light a candle, and if you are able to gather some bread and some wine or juice that we will be using a little later in the service as we celebrate Holy Communion together. And now we enter into worship. Blessed be the Holy Trinity, one God, who creates, redeems, and sustains us and all of creation. Amen. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Let us pray. Faithful God, have mercy on us. We confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We turn from your loving embrace and go our own ways. We pass judgment on one another before examining ourselves. We place our own needs before those of our neighbors. We keep your gift of salvation to ourselves. Make us humble, cast away our transgressions, and turn us again to life in you, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. God hears the cries of all who call out in need, and through his death and resurrection, Christ has made us his own. Hear the truth that God proclaims. Your sins are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. Led by the Holy Spirit, live in freedom and newness to do God's work in the world. Amen. We sing together our gathering hymn this morning, Gather Us In, number 532. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.
1: And also with you.
0: Let us pray. Lord of the feast, you have prepared a table before all peoples and poured out your life with abundance. Call us again to your banquet. Strengthen us by what is honorable, just, and pure, and transform us into a people of righteousness and peace through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. At this time, we join Pastor Heather for a kid's story time.
1: Good morning, OSL kids and adults, and welcome to yet another, you guessed it, story time. As I read from this book, Holy Troublemakers and Unconventional Saints, I have come to love this book and the stories that it contains, for these holy troublemakers and unconventional saints are an inspiration to me. I hope they're an inspiration to you too. Today we're going to hear a story about a woman named Alice Paul in this election year. I thought it might be fun to hear her story, for she fought hard for the right for women to vote in this country. Here's Alice Paul's story. Back in 1885, when Alice Paul was born, women in the US did not have the right to vote. Fortunately, Alice's family believed that both men and women deserved to vote. Alice's parents were Quakers, and Alice was related to William Penn, a Quaker who established the colony of Pennsylvania as a refuge for Quakers and for other religious minorities who often faced harsh discrimination elsewhere. Alice's family then had a history of caring about the rights of those in the minority. Alice's parents embraced gender equality and access to education for both boys and girls. Alice's mother was a suffragette, which means she was one of the many women who fought for the right to vote. Alice watched her mother and her mother's friends work tirelessly to change the law of the land so that women could also have an official say in what happened in their country, towns, and communities. She helped make signs and chanted popular slogans like, votes for women, no vote, no tax, sisters unite and fight. Alice studied hard in school, She knew she'd need to be able to write, speak and organize effectively in order to continue her mother's and other suffragette's work. She went to a Quaker college and studied biology, graduated in 1905, and then she earned her first graduate degree in 1907 from what is now Columbia University. Next, Alice earned a PhD in social work from the University of Pennsylvania. After completing her official studies, Alice sailed to England to meet with women who were also working for the right to vote. While there, Alice met another American suffragette, Lucy Burns. Together, Alice and Lucy learned more effective demonstration and organizing strategies from their English friends. They went on to found the National Women's Party in the U.S with the goal of getting Congress to pass a constitutional amendment granting women the right to vote. Previous suffragette efforts had been more focused on state-by-state changes, but Alice wanted to change the law for the whole country at the same time. Many of the women who had started the movement for the right to vote had felt the need to be polite. They wanted to be seen as ladies. Alice started a plan more assertive in these demonstrations. She realized that being polite was not getting results. That kind of gentler conversation might have been where the suffragette movement had needed to start. But Alice had learned in England that she needed to make some noise. Her new strategy was to hold sustained, dramatic, nonviolent protests to get attention and to get press coverage. The first large protest Alice organized was in Washington, DC. It was held on March 3, 1913, the day before President Woodrow Wilson was inaugurated. She faced resistance from the police and city supervisor over her planned parade route, but she persisted and got approval for the route. Over 8,000 women marched with banners and floats down Pennsylvania Avenue from the Capitol building to the White House. In addition to the women marching, there were at least 500,000 people watching. Most were cheering them on, but there were also a number of people there to bother them. The parade was led by a fellow suffragette, Inez Milholland, who rode at the head of the parade on a white horse and dressed in flowing robes of white. Newspaper coverage called the parade one of the most impressively beautiful spectacles ever staged in this country. A few years later, in January of 1917, Alice and 1,000 women called Silent Sentinels began 18 months of picketing the White House. They stood at the gates with signs that read, Mr. President, how long must women wait for liberty? And other messages. The silent sentinels endured frequent verbal insults, and they were also physically attacked. The police, who should have protected their right to protest, did little to shield them. In fact, several women were arrested on the charge of obstructing traffic, even though they were not in the street. Police arrested Alice on October 20th, 1917, She was sentenced to seven months in prison. The conditions in prison were awful. Rats ran everywhere and the women had to work all day long. Guards beat them on the orders of the prison superintendent who wanted to break their wills. But Alice's spirit could not be broken. She saw an inscription that another woman had etched on a prison wall resistance to tyranny is obedience to god. Alice drew strength from that reminder of her higher calling on this difficult path. In response to the brutal prison conditions Alice organized a hunger protest. Alice's hunger strike went on for so long that prison officials were afraid she would die and they didn't want that negative publicity. They eventually force-fed Alice and threatened to send her to a hospital for people with severe mental illness. However, Alice and the other imprisoned suffragettes managed to get messages to journalists and gradually their stories got published in newspapers. Public support for women's suffrage increased with the news coverage, just as Alice had known it would. Through all of this, the silent sentinels stood outside of the White House for 24 hours a day until the 19th Amendment, granting American women the right to vote, was finally passed by Congress on June 4, 1919. It was ratified on August 18, 1920. Finally, the generations of women who had worked for the right of women to vote achieved victory. An important note, however, is that this right originally applied mostly to white American women. It would still take many more years before various laws would give Native American and Asian American women the right to vote. And it would take the civil rights movement to remove the many race-related voting restrictions that had effectively kept most black Americans from voting. Alice later reflected, when you put your hand to the plow you can't put it down until you get to the end of the row. Alice had lived to see the end of the row she set her hand to. After this triumph, Alice devoted the rest of her life to the ongoing effort for women to have full equality, an effort still underway today by her successors in advocacy." What an inspiring story. story. As she fought against injustice, as she strived for justice, true justice for all. What opportunities do you have that become responsibility for you to seek justice for all? If you are old enough to vote, Be sure to exercise that right, that opportunity, and continue to seek justice in our world for all of God's people. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the ways that you are a holy troublemaker, an unconventional saint. We continue our worship now as we hear our first reading.
0: Our first reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Though writing from prison and facing an uncertain future, Paul calls on the Philippians to rejoice and give thanks to God no matter what the circumstance. God's peace is with us and binds together our hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, especially when things around us do not seem peaceful. A reading from Philippians. My brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God.
1: the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatted calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Have you ever noticed what a central role parties play in the Gospels? The Gospel of John practically begins with Jesus turning water into wine so a wedding party can continue. We have accounts of Jesus at parties at Matthew's house, Simon's house, Mary and Martha's house, Zacchaeus' house, just to name some of the most notable. Then there is the Last Supper, of course, the party we are called to reenact in our worship together. Jesus tells a lot of stories about parties too. The kingdom of God is like a banquet, a feast, a party, Jesus says. But the story we've just heard this morning, especially in its form, As told in the Gospel of Matthew, this party story is kind of awful. With Halloween just around the corner, it seems to me that this parable could easily be told as a ghost story around a campfire. It kind of reminds me of a storyline from the Game of Thrones. Hearing this story, at least this time around to me, sounds nothing remotely like the Kingdom of Heaven. Nothing in this story is like the kind of party Jesus would throw or invite us to, especially not how I'm hearing it this time around. But that's the wonderful thing about parables, these stories that Jesus tells. Depending on what's going on in our lives or in our world, we can hear them differently. We can look at them through different lenses and from different angles to learn something new. And often, the more we dig, the more we question and consider, the deeper we discover the well of meaning within. So join me, if you will, as we review this parable through just a little bit of my own interpretive lens. Once upon a time, there was this king who threw a big wedding banquet, inviting all his rich, powerful friends. But the promise of a fancy party and being served hand and foot apparently doesn't impress his friends enough to show up. And even with a second, more tantalizing invitation, they turn away. And some even abuse and then kill the messengers, the king's slaves who were sent out with the royal invitations. Nice. So in typical dictatorial fashion, the king kills those would-be guests right back. Also nice. But he doesn't stop there. He burns down the whole city. Battle show them. As the city smolders, however, the king realizes he still needs a crowd to admire him in his opulent party. So he sends out more of his slaves to gather some still living bodies to fill the seats. The king's rich and powerful friends are dead, of course, and a little crispy. So the guest list has become just a bunch of ordinary folks, who I am sure are thrilled to be forced to attend a party of a king who has just burned their city. But turning him down has proven unwise, so shaking with fear, they put on some fancy wedding robes so the king can keep up appearances with a party that looks to be the greatest. But the parable isn't over yet, for at the end of the story, the king notices the one guy at the banquet who isn't wearing the obligatory wedding robe. And when that innocent man has nothing to say for himself, the king has him tied up and thrown into the outer darkness. Many are called, but few are chosen." What a lovely story, right? Now I have preached sermons on this parable that have allowed for this story to teach us something about saying yes to God's invitation to the party, to just showing up and being willing to learn and putting on the clothes of faith and discipleship, putting on the clothes of service and welcome. I've preached sermons about how Prophets throughout time have been met with indifference and often violence. But as you can tell from my recap of this story, that's not what I'm feeling today. Today, all I can hear in this parable is a story about power misused, about the empire in deep and profound contrast to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew prefers to say. But regardless of whatever wisdom gleaned from this parable, never has this story suggested that God is anything like an angry, murderous, slave-owning king. God is not, in other parables Jesus tells, like the rich man, the ruler, the slave owner, the tyrant either. God is not like even the best of our human rulers and certainly not like the worst of them our King of Kings, Jesus, is nothing like the King in this parable. And even while Matthew, the gospel writer who shares his version of this parable today, even while Matthew tends to like a theme of judgment, Matthew is always contrasting the kingdom of empire with the kingdom of heaven. So then, if God is nothing like the King in our story, What if the real hero is the guy who won't wear the king's wedding robe? What if the kingdom of heaven is like someone who shows up and says no to empire, to power abused? What if the kingdom of heaven is like someone who stands speechless before his accusers? What if the kingdom of heaven is like someone who is arrested and tied up for not participating in a party where the powerful manipulate the weak? What if the kingdom of heaven is like someone who is thrown out by the king the empire into the outer darkness? And what if that outer darkness is a cross on a hill? Just a few chapters later in Matthew, we will hear the story of the crucifixion, where Jesus will be silent in the face of his accusers, mocked for being in the wrong clothes, bound hand and foot hung on a cross where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Maybe in today's parable, the thrown out one is the one who reveals the farce of the king and the empire and shows us the true face and nature of God in Jesus, who comes not to be served, but to serve, to bless, to forgive, to love without limits, to offer his life that we might discover true life too in all of its fullness. All while exposing the all too often empty promises of empire, strength, security, prosperity. These so often end up forsaking compassion, justice, mercy. And while we all participate in empire, God in Christ calls us not to be defined by those empty promises. Jesus, of course, chooses a way that looks like complete failure through the eyes of empire, but a way that leads to life, to peace, to purpose. Through the cross, Jesus stands up to the brutality of empire and shows us a way to live even amidst the rubble, even amidst the ways we suffer on account of empire, and even in all the ways we benefit from it, because truly the kingdom of heaven is like a first century Jewish peasant who doesn't bow down to the powerful, but instead kneels beside the weak, the sick, the stranger, the foreigner, the sinner, in whatever judgment names them as such. The kingdom of heaven is like a savior who parties with all the wrong people and who is thrown out and crucified for it. But from that outer darkness, Even death itself is swallowed up, changed forever as the light of Christ overcomes it. And if death is changed forever, so too is life. Life in Christ is changed forever for us. For we are defined most fully and completely by the love and mercy of God who calls us to bear love and mercy in our world, to be light in the midst of empire, to choose forgiveness as often as we are able, to value the lives of those around us, especially those the world undervalues, to care for creation, to work against systems that oppress or victimize, to trust that God calls us beloved, no matter the path we've taken, no matter how far we feel we've wandered, no matter how little or how much our culture measures our worth, God calls us beloved. God calls us beloved. Thank you for indulging my slightly different lens through which to consider what I've deemed our Halloween ghost story parable for today. Actually, I've been thinking a lot about how odd Halloween might feel for us this year, especially if you're accustomed to bringing kids trick-or-treating or handing out candy. I'm not sure how much of that we can manage this year. So I have to share with you the tradition that I grew up with when it comes to trick-or-treating. And that is why I'm sitting right here in front of our front door. Some of you may know that I grew up on a dairy farm. And what that meant, at least for my family, was that we were always milking cows during the standard trick-or-treating time of the evening. So early on, my parents adopted a unique way to trick-or-treat for my brother and sister and I, and eventually for my youngest sister too. There are four of us. Anyway, my parents would ready themselves in a room in our house, it was their bedroom, and then we, my siblings and I would trick or treat by knocking many different times on their bedroom door. But the real fun came with the surprise each time they answered our knock. They were dressed as different people with different voices and backstories of course too. We got to trick-or-treat through the neighborhood of our living room. And as we got older, eventually it was my sister and I who provided the entertainment behind the trick-or-treating door for my younger siblings. And eventually, it was my younger brother and my dad who dressed up for us. Even in high school, I didn't want to miss it. That's when it really went off the rails. Nothing like trick-or-treating at a door opening to a crime scene with my little brother laying on the floor covered in ketchup as fake blood, and their creativity went well beyond that. It is a strange time for us all, and it will be a strange year in so many different ways, but we can continue to remind one another that our reasons for caution, for physical distance, for many different sacrifices, are all out of love and care. And as people of faith, we are called, as followers of Jesus, we are called to love and care, to be light and bear hope in the ways in which God has uniquely created and gifted each of us. So shine, my friends. May the light of Christ overcome our darkness and may the light of Christ shine through us too. And if you do adopt a strange new Halloween practice at your house this year, I would really love to hear about it. Peace to you, my friends. Shine on. Amen.
0: We sing now together our hymn of the day. I come with joy. Number 482, and we'll sing verses one, three, and five. of God, we pray for the church, the world, and all those in need. After each petition, we sing together, Lord, listen to your children praying. Gracious God, fill your spirit, fill your church with a spirit of joyous hospitality. We pray for bishops, teachers, church leaders, and all children of God as they invite others to your table of boundless grace. We pray for your creation, O God. Curb our neglect and inspire our care and sense of responsibility. Help us to be better stewards of the wonders of your creation as we work to help restore valleys, mountains, pastures, and still and running waters, we pray to the Lord. stranger, we ask you to bless the efforts of diplomats, international peace workers, and world leaders who navigate conflict. May they proceed with dialogue and understanding so that justice and peace prevails. We give you thanks, O God, for the gifts of new life and new faith. We rejoice in the baptism of Laura Pearl Chambers, who was baptized yesterday. Surround her with your love and care, and help her to grow in the ways of your truth and compassion. May your gentleness be known among those who are weary or ill, as we pray especially for Roger Steinmeier, Rich Vernon, Ruth Gilbertson, Lolly Baldus, John Lenz, Janice Cronk, Jody Raisler, Tim Oddness, Deb Johnson, Alice Kennedy, Carolyn Barnhart, and Marilyn Lee. Strengthen doctors, medical care workers, and caretakers who see to their needs. As we remember those who have died and are gathered at the heavenly banquet, comfort us with your presence. Assure us of your peace at all times. We pray to the Lord. judge outward appearance, remind us how you clothe all in your mercy. We pray for ministries that provide needed clothing and other personal care assistance in this community, especially Stepping Stones, Bridge to Hope, and Arbor Place. Listen as we call on you, O God, and enfold in your loving arms all whom we've named today, whether aloud or in our hearts. We pray to the Lord. The Lord be with you always
1: and also with you.
0: We send our greetings to you and we invite you to share a sign of peace with those you are gathered with. I want to take a moment to say thank you for your continued generosity for all of the ways that you support the work of helping those in need here in our community, in Menominee, and throughout the world. And especially thanks to the ways you continue to support the ongoing ministry of our Savior's Lutheran Church. Your support is vital as we continue to walk in the ways and continue to do the work of Jesus. We welcome your offerings to OSL and to our shared ministry. You may send those offerings to our church office Or you may use our online giving option on our website at oslme.com. If you have not yet gathered bread and wine or juice, I invite you to do that now so that you can celebrate Holy Communion with us in just a couple of minutes. And And now together we will sing our offertory, Let the Vineyards Be Fruitful.
1: Us pray. Blessed are you, O God, maker of all things. You have set before us these gifts of your good creation. Prepare us for your heavenly banquet. Nourish us with this rich food and drink, and send us forth to set tables in the midst of a suffering world. Through the bread of life, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen. for the remembrance of me. Gathered near and far into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as Jesus has taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial, and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. I now invite you to share Holy Communion with those you may be gathered with or receive the sacrament yourself. This table, we are invited to. All are welcome. This is a party Jesus invites one and all, to be connected together to receive the fullness of God, to be reminded in this meal of God's promises and love for us, for all. This is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. We now welcome Michaela Gifford, who shares special music as you commune, She will be playing for us. They'll know we are Christians. Body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and keep you in his grace. Amen. Let us pray. We give you thanks, gracious God, that you have once again fed us with food beyond compare, the body and blood of Christ. Lead us now, nourished and forgiven, into your beloved vineyard to wipe away the tears of all who hunger and thirst, guided by the example of the same Jesus Christ and led by the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.
0: As you enter now into the rest of this Sabbath day, receive this benediction. Mother and God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bless you and lead you into the way of truth and life. Amen. I take now just a moment to brief you, the ministers of OSL. I remind you that there is an opportunity, a midweek opportunity, for you to join us in prayer on Wednesday mornings and Wednesday evenings. Wednesday mornings, Matins meets by Zoom at 845. If you're interested, send me an email and I'll help you get connected. Compline meets at 530 p.m. in the parking lot. Please bring a chair and a mask and join us for that prayer service. Sunday School is underway. You can find all of our pre-recorded Sunday School videos on our website on the Sunday School portal. If you have any questions, please contact Denise Vick, our Director of Children and Family Ministry. Confirmation 2 has begun. We met in small group with our seventh graders this past week. And eighth graders, we are so excited to see you again this coming Wednesday. We'll see you right here in the sanctuary for our mental health forum. I also want to let you know that happening today in our parking lot from 12.30 to 2.30, we are hosting a pumpkin carving event. Bring your own pumpkin to the parking lot. We'll supply the carving tools and painting supplies, um, and we'll have a good time engaging in that activity and making some fun pumpkins. I want to extend an invitation to those of you that have recently lost loved ones. If you would like to request a favorite hymn in memory or in honor of a loved one, please contact the church office, and as we are able, we will work those special hymn requests into our um, worship services as our sending hymn. Finally, I remind you that if if you have a prayer concern or if you wish to visit with one of our parish uh, nurses or if you wish to visit with one of the pastors, please contact us. We are here for you during this time. You can find all of our contact information on our website at oslme.com. We sing now together our sending hymn, Lift High the Cross, number 660, and we're going to sing verses 2 through 4. We sing this hymn today in honor and in loving memory of Linda Mercer, Jane Barr's sister.
1: people of God, remember the poor. Thanks be to God.